0: Welcome to Season 2 of the Essential Stepmom Podcast. I'm Tracy, and I'll be your guide for this unconventional look at what I call the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. Why do I favour an unconventional approach to being a stepmom? It's probably because I'm something of an outlier in everything I do, but mostly it's because there's a scary statistic looming over every one of our homes, like the mythical Sword of Damocles, Showing that nearly three quarters of step families don't last more than five years. What that tells me is that the conventional wisdom, the general consensus, the status quo are all things that are leading stepmoms in obedient herds straight for the gutter. If you want to buck the trend and stay in the game, you need to think differently. In this podcast, we look outside the box for better answers, for counterintuitive strategies to help us fight the instincts that don't serve us well and to grow a new parenting reflex that really supports us and everyone else on this crazy journey with us. Welcome to the new normal. Disengaging is probably the hottest topic in all of Stepmomland. land. Women who have done it, talk about it as enthusiastically as a religious epiphany or as an experience of enlightenment. Other women suspect it's something that selfish, evil stepmoms do, that it's a kind of black magic, and if they even look at it to learn more, they'll be swept up in a kind of sinister cult. And then there's all the rest of you just wondering, what on earth can all this be about? How do I know if I need to do it? Is it going to make my partner mad at me? Where do I start? The best place to start is in your head. Start there first, because nobody knows what's going on between your ears. It's private. It starts with realizing that there's more than one way to skin a cat. Sorry, that's a really bad turn of phrase. What I mean to say is understand that there's another way to get where you're trying to go. This is what's known as a mindset shift. You have a kind of mental map of how to get to your destination but it's like there's a giant traffic jam on your planned route. You can stay stuck there in the traffic, cursing and steaming, or you can take a detour. You can see quite a few people taking the detour, but it looks sketchy. You don't quite trust that they know where they're going. By now, lots of us are publishing our travel logs on the internet and saying, girl, are you still on that slow-ass road? There's a perfectly good side road going right where you need to go with hardly any traffic on it, and you won't regret getting off at the next exit and trying it out. You can come back to your familiar slow road again later if you want, but nobody who takes the detour ever goes back. Once you see how smooth this other road is, you'll never go back to the old way again. I want to take a moment here to reference a wonderful podcast I've been listening to called Cautionary Tales. It's from Pushkin Industries, the factory of fabulous podcasts created by Malcolm Gladwell, which have been collectively taking up every minute of my free time for years already. This one is by Tim Harford, and the episode I want to point you to is called Lessons from the Wreck of the Torrey Canyon. It's about how things go wrong when we can't deal with our own natural default to sticking with a plan we've made in our minds, even when the evidence in front of us is leading us, even obliging us, to move to another plan. The main story in this cautionary tale is about the biggest tanker disaster ever to hit the coast of England. Tim walks us through the myriad of little problems that combine to create this catastrophe, any one of which might have been corrected along the way but the very experienced and capable captain was unable to course correct himself and thus couldn't save his ship from being torn up by a deadly reef of rocks under the surface. To illustrate what he refers to as plan continuation bias, something that airline pilots know as get there-itis, he recounts an experiment that was performed in a hospital simulating a life and death situation for a non-responsive child. In 19 different tests, qualified medical teams of doctors and nurses failed to notice that the respirator they were given to use on the test dummy was broken. Only a couple of these professional teams identified the broken equipment. All the others persisted at trying to stabilize the plastic child in all the regular ways, moving from step A to B to C, unable to take a step back and see the bigger picture. This is not a problem of newbies or incompetence. It's a problem of human nature. I'm going to quote Tim Harford from the show notes on his website, timharford.com. I encourage you to check out this podcast, if only for his absolutely delightful British accent. I wish I could replicate that for you here, but it feels like I'd be guilty of cultural appropriation or something. So I'll just read you his remarks because you'll see how easily this concept bleeds over into our topic of step family life. Here's what Tim says. We've all experienced get there-itis. For me, it tends to emerge when dealing with family logistics. One child needs to go somewhere. Another must be picked up from school. Then it turns out that someone needs to be at home to receive a delivery. The car is in for a service, the babysitter calls to cancel. The plan seems feasible at first, but as complications mount, it starts to resemble an increasingly precarious assembly of stages and steps, lift swaps and rendezvous, a Rube Goldberg fever dream of an itinerary. If I'm lucky, someone finds the mental space To see clearly the fragility of it all someone suggests a cancellation or two replacing the entire time and motion nightmare with something radically simpler it's that moment of clarity that is so often missing so that's what i'm talking about here stepping into a moment of clarity have you ever heard that definition of insanity that it's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. I'm not sure if that was really said by Albert Einstein, but it's pretty astute. So step one of disengaging for beginners is refrain from complaining to your partner about his or her kids, ever. Okay, I can see you out there in all your 33 listening countries, scratching your heads and saying, but... How will they ever change if I don't tell him or her what they have to do? Somebody has to notice or care, and that someone is me. Well, let me reassure you about something. Your partner will notice things they never saw before when they have to stop counting on you to point everything out for them. It sounds crazy, but that's actually what happens. I posted a quote from the well-known author and psychologist Patricia Paperno in our Facebook group this week. It says that when step-parents don't agree with their partners on parenting, the step-parent becomes more strict and harsh, and the bio-parent becomes gradually more lenient and forgiving. Does that sound familiar to you? It should, because it's practically universal. I can tell you it's what I deal with, every day for my clients and my listeners who write in saying, my step kid is supposed to do X, Y, Z, and they don't do it, but my partner never calls them on it. Instead, I'm the one who needs to relax and get over it. Can you believe that? So maybe this step number one feels more like giant leap number one, but stop complaining to your partner. Instead, Just leave little Joey's dishes on the table. Close the door to the messy bedroom and walk by. Don't even mention it. Pretend you didn't notice. It might take a few weeks, but what you will notice is that your partner isn't mad at you all the time for complaining about their kids. I'm going to paraphrase from a comment I saw in another stepmom group last week. That just perfectly sums up what so many women experience when they start this step. Since I don't talk to my husband about, anymore about what his son needs to do, isn't doing, should do, would be better if you do, how come you didn't do, etc., my husband isn't upset with me, and my stepson isn't disrespectful because I ask him to do nothing. The side effect has been. That fighting has stopped about my stepson, and my husband is no longer defensive, and my stepson is actually seeking out my company, and we get to have fun together. You know, maybe that sounds like some kind of a fantasy dream to you, but I can tell you that it's exactly how it goes down in my house too. I have to stop myself almost daily from asking my stepdaughter to do something like put her dishes in the dishwasher really the little voice pops up in my head every single day saying, Hey, you're not a baby anymore. Could you just put that right into the dishwasher instead of in the sink where I have to rinse it and then stick it in the machine? After I've shut down that little voice saying, Hey, I didn't like it when my own mother used to ask me to do that. Do I really want the fallout of nagging her? Then I stop myself from asking my husband to tell her like, He's already doing the job for her. He's the one who cleans up the kitchen. So what the hell is my problem with this? I remember how years ago I fought with my own bio daughter about the laundry she was supposed to be doing as her one and only chore. It's like the only thing we ever had words about. And did being bad at laundry stop her from graduating from law school and getting a job? No. So... Now that you've completely stopped complaining to your partner about their kids, here's step two of disengaging for beginners. Stop reminding the kids about what they're supposed to be doing. I'm assuming here that your partner hasn't specifically asked you to do that, and he or she hasn't told the kids that you're going to remind them about what they're expected to do. You know, it doesn't matter if it's homework or chores, bedtime or brushing teeth just bite your lip. I can hear you out there again. Kids are supposed to do those things. Who is going to make them do it if I don't? Their marks are going to crash. They're going to become lazy. They'll get cavities. All true. Here's where you have to trust me about the detour. You're going to get what you want, but via a completely different route. Remember how I said Your partner is gonna notice what's going on with his or her kids when you stop pointing it out. Well, things will have to fall apart just a little, and you'll have to pretend you don't notice. You'll also have to refrain from saying, I told you so, like a hundred times a day. You have to remember that your partner is dealing with stuff that you don't have in your way, like having their parenting mocked or undermined by the other bio parent of their kids and you're not walking on eggshells worrying what your kids think of you and what they're saying about you to their bio mom and they might have relied on her for lots of things that they haven't learned how or even why to do by themselves and they deserve space to screw up and to fix it on their own without someone hovering who can do it better with one hand tied behind her back. So just stop being the enforcer. If your partner notices or complains that you've stopped talking to the kids about those things, just say, I feel like it's not my place to do that. I'm not the boss of them, you are. It doesn't work when I tell them anyway because they wanna hear it from you. They need to push on their parents for limits. I'm just a bystander here. And I wanna read you what that same stepmom from before had to say about what happened when she stopped being the enforcer. At first, my husband didn't have his son do anything. After having to clean up after him and pick up his slack for about three months, he sat his son down, just the two of them, and came up with a chore chart and the consequences. I was not a part of that conversation, and I'm not responsible for enforcing any of it. When my stepson comes to me and asks about chores or snacks or whatever, I redirect him to his dad. It's funny because I realized that had I done this from the beginning, the tension between me and my stepson would never have started. Are you starting to see what I mean about the detour? We're all here trying to wave you off that backed up expressway onto this pleasant shady side road leading straight to where you want to get. We know where you wanna get, by the way, because we pretty much all wanna get there. You want a peaceful life with pleasant relationships, harmony, love. You wanna not rip apart your stepfamily ship on the rocks. This is the unconventional detour. And you know what? I've never heard anyone say that laying down the law and being the bad cop in the house worked better than this. Because you know, Nobody would ever be the bad cop if they couldn't count on backup to arrive when they call for it. Think about that for a minute. Now, here's step three of disengaging for beginners. Practice saying five positive things for every negative thing you say to your stepkids. This is where you force yourself to make positive comments. Get creative. I'll give you a little head start. Hey, nice haircut. Thanks for hanging up your coats. You guys rock. Have you grown since last week? Look how tall you are. I'm so impressed that you gave that spinach a try. It's okay if you don't like it, but you're getting braver all the time about trying new things. I know, this sounds like sucking up. Or worse, creating entitled little monsters who expect to be praised for wiping their own behinds. That's not what I'm talking about. This technique comes from observations of married couples and what distinguishes happy, long-lasting relationships from those destined to fail. Psychologist and researcher John Gottman studied 700 couples and was able to predict their future divorce rates with 94% accuracy. He came up with this 5 to 1 ratio of how many positive interactions it takes to balance one negative one, and maintain a stable, positive relationship. This means if you have five good experiences with someone, you can tolerate one not so good experience without changing your mind about that person. It balances out. If your partner says things like, that dress is hot on you, or I love how your hair looks today on a regular basis, then you don't feel so crushed when you ask, do these jeans make me look fat? And you get a, hmm, well, do you want the truth? I think you look better in the other ones. Do you get what I mean? Or if your significant other tells you over and over how much they appreciate what you do for their kids, then you can bear it when they occasionally ask you not to come along to the movies because they want to date alone with their kids. You feel confident in the support of that person, that they're behind you, that they respect you. It's a bit like building up your credit rating when you pay your bills on time every month. Then if you slip up once in a while, it doesn't affect your credit rating. Everything stays stable. Stable is good in a step family. As you already know, it's a long, long game. And you need to be thinking far ahead to the future when you envision the relationships that you want to have. As a beginner at disengaging, you might have one more question. What does it mean to nacho? Have you heard that term, nacho kids? It's a term that's been coined by Lori and David Sims of nachokids.com, who I totally love, by the way. It's a southern take on not your kids, which was the advice that Lori kept getting from the marriage counselor they went to see in a last ditch attempt to save their marriage. Lori had all those thoughts that you were having out there on Planet Stepmom, like, who's gonna raise these kids to learn to be responsible, to do their homework, to eat spaghetti without slurping. But when she finally gave herself permission to let go of the responsibility of being that person, the one who was gonna teach them all that stuff, and give back all the responsibility to their parents where it belonged, everything righted itself. Not overnight, but in a matter of months. She disengaged, and then, surprise, she re-engaged, but in a better way, in the correct way, in a way that allowed her husband to decide what was important and to make it happen. In a way that let her stepkids love her and let her love them back. She never saw that coming when she was days away from asking for a divorce. She trusted the detour. Now, she and David are out there, like me, standing next to the highway, trying to flag down other stepmoms and guide them over to the off-ramp, so you can get where you're trying to go. I promise, we won't steer you wrong. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please... Take a moment to rate or review us on iTunes. That's the very best way you can help other high-performing, alternative-thinking stepmoms to stumble onto this show and discover a community of like-minded listeners around the world. According to Anchor.fm, the platform I'm recording on, we're being heard now in 29 countries. I find that really exciting. If you're a social media kind of person, you're welcome to join my Facebook community, by sending a join request to The Spectacular Stepmom. If you'd rather just get a more intimate weekly email from me, send me a message with the subject line weekly email to info at essentialstepmom.com. Finally, I'd love to hear from you with questions or comments or situations you'd like me to address on this podcast. You can leave a voice message right here or send anything to my personal and confidential email address, info at essentialstepmom.com. That's info at essentialstepmom.com. See you next week.